everyone, Siobhan Chapman here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. The mood across financial markets has brightened over the past 10 days with the deal to raise the debt ceiling now passed and economic data showing that the U.S. economy continues to demonstrate surprising resiliency. We'll touch on these topics today and set the stage for another important upcoming market event, the Fed's FOMC meeting on June 14th. Joining us today on the Strategy Snapshot is Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas. Jason, good morning. Hey, good morning. So let's get started. Starting with the economic data, Jason, can you recap some of the notable recent data and what it says about the economy? Well, the most prominent data we got recently was the jobs report on Friday for May. Uh, the headline number in terms of the number of new jobs far exceeded expectations. It came in at 339,000. Consensus is around 200,000. So a big beat there. The details of the rest of the report weren't as positive. Uh, the unemployment rate rose from 3.4% to 3.7%. It's based on a different survey. It's based on a household survey versus the payrolls report is based on uh, you know, job growth across employers. So it's not the apple to apples. But the fact that the unemployment rate rose and some of the details in the household survey suggested there were actually job losses, suggests the overall picture was a little bit more mixed. But also another key point was the average hourly earnings, which is kind of a critical part of the overall inflation story. That data came in sort of line with expectations which also would continue to decline. You know, the average hourly earnings are moderately declining, consistent with inflation kind of coming down, maybe not as fast as uh, the Fed would want, but is coming down. So the overall story is sort of consistent with the, the view, if you want to have that view, that the economy is it's being quite resilient and the labor market is critical on that side. That will support the consumer. So that's good for growth. But at the same time, the inflation moderation continues based on the wage data. Uh, which is, I think, why you saw the markets react, you know, you know pretty positively on Friday to, you know, the, the surprise and the upside to this data. But it wasn't just the jobs report. You know, other data over the past week is kind of consistent with that. We've seen an uptick, a little bit of a consumer confidence. We've seen, you know, further signs that the housing market is not just kind of maybe hit a kind of a bottom, but also now I wouldn't say reaccelerating, but showing signs of, of more improvement. Uh, and overall economic data, I think, for the past week is sort of surprised to the upside. So it's a you know, in the view that the economy continues to hold up in ways that are probably surprising to investors, certainly relative to expectations at the beginning of this year, that continues to be the key story. And inflation, while it's still elevated, it is kind of gradually trending lower. So if you want to look at this to an optimistic perspective, you'd say, well, this is all consistent with what you need to have to get a soft landing. There's certainly a sign of moderation and sort of you know, weakness on the consumer. Uh, so you can kind of pick it apart a little bit. But considering that we are now almost at the mid-year point uh, and the economy is still holding up, I think the overall story is this is you know pretty decent, and it does kind of you know, shift some of the, the let's call it the probability from two weeks ago where we were worried about the debt ceiling causing you know significant economic damage to that no longer being a risk to the economic data is holding up reasonably well. So I think it's it's you know reasonably optimistic. You know, all things considered for how well the economy has been doing based on the latest economic data. So let's continue with the debt ceiling. So with the debt ceiling resolved and the economy continuing to run hotter than the Fed would like, the market is keenly focused on what the Fed does and says. The FOMC meeting on June 14th, what do you expect the Fed to do? Uh, well, the Fed is sort of telling us kind of what they are thinking. And, you know, by the Fed, I mean multiple Fed governors uh, and multiple speakers. I think the key point, though, is so far, Jay, uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell has kind of indicated in his speech over a week ago that he's kind of leaning towards basically we need to sort of pause, assess how the data is coming in, assess the consequences of the banking stress leading to sort of credit contraction for the overall economy, 
the last Wednesday, Vice Chair Jefferson, uh, you know, gave a speech in which you referred to or used the term skip, meaning maybe we skip a meeting. Uh, so I think it's likely now that the Fed, barring something unexpected, will not hike at the June meeting uh, on the 14th, uh, but will revise higher its expectations for how much it raises rates this year. So let's say they don't do it this time, but they indicate through a revision of their economic forecast and their sort of you know, dot plot of uh, the individual views of the uh, BFOMC committee members, saying we still think it's less than we're going to raise rates one more time, probably in July. So I think it's, let's call it a hawkish skip. Uh, so they don't hike, but they can, you know, they will hike you know, at some point uh, in the near future. That will be conditional on data and they'll frame it as such. This is kind of what the market is now currently pricing, uh, about a 25 to 30% chance of a hike in June. But then the cumulative probability through the, you know, the next meeting, which is the end of July, is all around 85%. So pretty high probability that the Fed will ultimately hike at one of the two next meetings. Uh, then is kind of you know on pause for a little while, and then by the end of this year, November, December timeframe, the market takes out this one additional hike that it's pricing in, uh, and we're basically end the year kind of flat to where we are relative of levels. The Fed is in a tell me a little bit of a tricky spot because you know a month ago at the last last FOMC meeting, they kind of indicated you know you know reasonably clearly that they think that they can almost now pause hikes. Since that time, economic data has continued to be quite solid. There have been no further escalation of banking issues, and it looks like that those are kind of moderating. So the economic data thus far in terms of where the level of growth is and the level of inflation would warrant them to continue to hike. Since they've kind of indicated they probably won't, uh, that's the direction where the market believes. But they also, and we get another inflation print um, the day before the Fed makes a decision. So next Tuesday, we will get May CPI data. On Wednesday, they make the decision. So there won't be much time for them to communicate any change in, in plans. If it's a really strong inflation print surprise in the upside, it may force them, they may feel like they need to hike. If they don't, then it's a, it's a situation where maybe the market then will believe they should have hiked. The economy is running too hot. Now we have to wait another six weeks before another hike. And it just means maybe the Fed gets further behind the curve. So there is a chance that this could become sort of more eventful, even if the Fed doesn't hike, because of how the data is playing out between now and when they could in late July. So it's interesting sort of evolution just in the past four weeks from thinking the Fed was done to now expecting the Fed will probably is going to do one more hike. But if they wait too long, the markets actually may not like it to, to some extent if the data continues to come in strong. So all this is to say that there's a chance for Fed policy to, to once again be sort of a source of volatility as we move further into the summer. Turning to the markets, the S&P 500 responded favorably to the jobs report on Friday, finishing up at 1.5% and has broken above its tight range for of the past two months. On Friday afternoon, you published a blog titled Across the Marketverse, and when you suggested that there are multiple possible paths for the market from here, what do you mean by that? Well, if you think of the context of where we were back in sort of the February-March timeframe, there's some, you know, kind of similar parallels to like what we've gone through over the past month versus where we were back in February. The economy in both cases was actually running stronger, meaning faster growth and higher inflation than, you know, the markets were expecting. And that was causing the markets to reprice more Fed rate hikes, price out Fed rate cuts. That was going on in February into early March. That's what's happened in the past couple of weeks. In March, we had the situation then when the banking crisis began, when Silicon Valley banks, you know, went under. So very quickly, the market expectations pivoted dramatically, took out a lot of hikes. The expectation was now, well, this banking crisis could escalate. It could certainly keep the Fed on pause, maybe you know, done in this cycle, because the banking system will sort of do the tightening for the Fed. 
that you know has not played out, and now we're kind of back to something similar. We're like, well, now maybe the Fed's going to have to do more than expected uh, because the data is good. So if you take in away the debt thing as a downside risk, and the banking situation doesn't seem to be you know further escalating, it's kind of you know, holding steady. Well, now there's a downside scenario for the economy where we could get a soft landing. But it's also the case that if things run too hot, maybe the Fed has to keep hiking. And the only way they really get rid of inflation and cool things down properly is if they hike enough, enough to get a real recession. So that's the kind of the hard landing downside scenario. So this is kind of back where we were in early March. So there's a lot of, sort of deja vu in my mind kind of going on here. At that time, it felt like there was a pretty wide range of outcomes and kind of flat distribution in you know, decently high probability on the soft landing, decently high probability on the hard landing, and sort of you know, something sort of in between. So if that's the case, the distribution of like where we could be for the economy in another six, nine months is relatively flat, whereas in March, once the banking crisis began, it was really kind of skewed more to the downside. Where we go from here then depends on how inflation and growth evolve, and you know they're unpredictable, and, and you know, at least hard to forecast really in inflation. Uh, the outlook also depends on how does the Fed respond to this? Do they get behind the curve? Are they able to kind of move properly to bring inflation uh, under control and kind of help solve the economy? In addition to that, there's a lot of focus in the markets on potential drain and liquidity because now that the debt ceiling was done, the Treasury can actually then sort of replenish its coffers, and they're going to do that by issuing estimates are like six to $700 billion of T-bills in the next eight weeks. As that happens, it sort of takes liquidity out of the market. That could be negative for, for risk assets. Um, so these kind of factors, like macro factors, the Fed policy factors, in addition to kind of the AI sentiment that's going to the market, so there's a bit of some people refer to as a mini bubble, could that sort of continue or is that going to pop? There's a lot of different things that could play out that could have lead to different paths for the markets over the next kind of six months. So that's kind of what I mean in terms of multiple, po- multiple possible paths going forward. Uh, uh, it, given all these different side dynamics playing out. And, and it's not just all skewed to the downside. There's kind of a whole range of things uh, how this could play out between now and year end. Bringing this back to the investment outlook, what should investors be thinking about? So it's always important to think about what's going on in the economy and then also what's kind of being priced in the markets. So while the economic outlook looks a little bit better today than it did say, a couple of weeks ago, given some of these risks have, have come down, the data continues to hold up okay, the markets were already pricing in a pretty high probability of almost what's called a perfect landing. And now the S&P has gone up another two to three percentage points just, you know, in the past uh, in a few weeks. So it's further pricing in that you know, high probability of things going well. So then you have to ask yourself, well, okay, this is the macro looks a little bit better, but is the risk reward for equities at these current levels, you know, attractive or not? And then when you think about the alternative of a bond yields, they've gone up. They've kind of backed up another 30, 40 basis points. When I then look at the yields of high-quality bonds, such as investment in corporate bonds, and compare them to the S&P 500, I think, what kind of returns can I get? The relative attractiveness of equity markets at a broad index level you know, isn't particularly compelling, which is why we continue to remain you know, kind of cautious and have a most preferred on bonds and high-quality bonds, specifically you know, versus as equities. Uh, another thing is the um, you know the U.S. equities, led by the large cap, you know, seven companies in particular mega cap stocks have done very well. That's kind of driven the markets higher, certainly relative to other parts of the world like emerging markets. But what we also got late last week, and including on Friday, which may have been a factor of driving the markets higher, was reports that China is considering you know, additional stimulus because what we're seeing in China is the economy hasn't really, you know, really kind of fully recovered the way that the investors assumed after they reopened. 
In fact, after a relatively strong Q1, the data over the past couple months have been disappointing, enough so that it's maybe suggesting that the policymakers could do something more to actually stimulate activity. If that were to happen, that would be a boost to your Chinese equities, a boost to emerging market equities. So it's another reason why to kind of look outside of the U.S. right now and look look outside of those you know, those growth stocks, um, which is kind of one of our key messages, you know, diversify away from the U.S. and growth at this at these points in time. I think that's still much you know in play after what we've seen over the of the past week. And then in terms of the other messages, in terms of managing liquidity and high quality bonds, you know, I've kind of already alluded to high quality bonds look attractive, but there are also some areas that are still you know, less high quality, but still offer some compelling opportunities, including in preferreds. It's an asset class that we upgraded last week. Uh, their spreads have widened out a lot since the banking crisis began. And we think, you know, now you're getting, you know, kind of attractive compensation for, for that asset class. Uh, and then within it, there's also single security bonds that some of our colleagues have kind of published recommended lists within the preferred space. So you know, still remain relatively kind of cautious and defensive and up in quality across the board. Um, even though the macro environment has looked a little bit better, only because the markets are kind of already kind of reflecting some of that. Um, so you kind of have to calibrate what you do in portfolios versus, you know, there's a little bit better news in the macro overall. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. You prepared our listeners very well for the highly anticipated FOMC meeting next week and for commenting on your blog, Across the Marketverse. I really enjoy that title. You're welcome. Again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas. And as a reminder to our listeners, Top of the Morning is a part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Siobhan Chapman, and thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.